would this morning. And I, um, <laughs> I wasn't hiding in the back. I was uh, frantically trying to work out a uh, problem this morning that didn't involve people, so everybody stay calm. Um, but it involved a, uh, a situation that was, uh, Lord, I need help. We need help. We can't get through this. And, um, and it has to do with uh, the message this morning, wouldn't you, wouldn't you figure, right? And um, I just have to tell you, it, it brought all kind of flood of things. Um, she'll resist the label, but uh, Judy Armstrong's like my hero right now. So, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I uh, tell you that because um, she's, she's pretty high-end on the tech side of things to fix problems in. Um, and this one was stumping us all. And um, anyway, I found my way to words that uh, you know them and I know them. They're in Habakkuk, Habakkuk, the prophet, who, who pointed back in time to his time and said, you know, God, I've seen you do great things. I've actually heard your fame, but I need you to do it again right now. Can I use the words we use today in real time? Okay, so that's my situation, and literally uh, less than two minutes ago, uh, the problem got fixed, and praise God, right? And um, I, if I told you the problem, you'd go, hey, first world all the way. It's not really, but it, it was just a, uh, how do I stay in the spirit? How do I walk with Jesus like we're all trying to do in a situation that is like a, a volcano on the inside, and I want to stay calm on the outside? You know that moment? I don't know um, how often it happens for us, but it happened for me this morning. <laughs> And it was, uh, it was, it was, uh, God, do, do something quickly and show me the truth. Lord, we've heard of your fame. Let us experience it right now. So I'm going to just be bold and say, I don't know who that, it wasn't just for me. I, I, he didn't tell me to tell you this just for my sake to get it out and stay calm. Um, it, it is something that I think uh, more than a few of us showed up here or live streamed someplace else saying, God, I, I get your book. I believe your book. I hold on to these truths as eternal, immutable, meaning unchanging truths. But boy, there's a disconnect in my life. I need it now. I need you to do something right now. We didn't sing um, Waymaker, but... He's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And uh, my God, my God, that is who you are. So if that's you, you need a way maker. You need a miracle worker. You need a promise keeper. He said, I'll, st I'll do it. I'll take care of it. I'm not a good guy in last moment stuff. And, and, I, and it doesn't say in the Bible, I'll do it a week ahead of time, you know, like you're used to or like you prefer. 
It was like God saying, no, I'm going to do it right here, right now. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. So would you just close your eyes with me right now and just say thank you, Jesus, uh, that Pastor Steve didn't have a stroke this morning. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, really, Lord, that you uh, taught me a personal lesson. And I don't want to have sweaty palms and and, uh, a churning stomach in moments like that. I guess it's part of being human, but part of me just wants to say, no, 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 you've got this. You work all things, including the stuff I just came from, together for good in the lives of people who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, Lord, I pray for people hearing my words right now that are just from you, that you would, you would move mountains, you would make ways, you would accomplish something extraordinary where we go, whoa, couldn't have happened without God's intervention. And that we, we wanna, I want to praise you right now for that. I want to thank you that you're going to be with us in your word now, that your Holy Spirit is going to teach and communicate so personally. People are going to leave here and think, I, I, that was a message for me, Lord. I, I feel like you gave that for my benefit. And I pray for nothing less for those in the house and those watching in some other house that you would be Lord and you would have your way in every part of our lives for the glory of Jesus and for our good, we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. Wow, I, um, <clears throat> in my haste to get up here, I did not get water for myself, but if I need water, I'll just come. I see a couple of water jugs and I'll be fine, thanks. You're like, did, did he just say he's going to drink out of my water jug? That's not cool. Hey, he's a miracle worker, okay? Whatever I got, you won't get. It's okay. So, just kidding. So let's, um, let's talk about God's Word this morning. Uh, I just want to tell you, thank you again, John, for last Sunday. Uh, I was able to tune in uh, to... Wor- oh, thank you, Christy. Yeah, I was able to tune in. We were for a few moments as we were heading to a wedding, uh, the second wedding, back-to-back. Saturday was actually a Nigerian, um, uh, authentic Nigerian engagement celebration that lasted about eight hours. I wouldn't have shortened it for a minute. It was that off the hook huge. It was so cool. I, I, I remember thinking, man, I wish I could take notes right now, but they're in my head. How symbolic, uh, you know how... Uh, 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 groom asks for the hand of uh, his wife, uh, her hand in marriage, and, and goes to the father of the bride. And we've all done that, or most of us have done that, or um, experienced that somehow. I did, and I remember I was trembling. Only in their culture, the groom comes in dancing with his groomsmen in a regalia everywhere. And it was, oh, it was so cool. And then 
he comes and we're having this explained to us as he um, not only asks, he begs the mother and father, really the father, the, the, the king of that family, he begs for her hand, his permission and her hand in marriage, the daughter's hand. And he does so laying flat on his face on the floor in front of this dad. And so are all his groomsmen behind them, all of them laying flat. And they repeat this several times to persuade or to, to demonstrate we're serious. I, I don't come in here going, hey, can I marry your daughter? No. <laughs> it's really serious. And then the very cool next piece, and I'll ask me later and I'll tell you more. And Debbie will too. We, we were just so drawn in. This is just Saturday for the Nigerian part. Then Sunday was um, the, I want to say American part, the, the traditional wedding that I officiated at for my niece who's named after my wife. How cool is that, right? So it's really great. But anyway, the, the groom gets permission and part of the next uh, pageantry is he scoops his bride up his bride-to-be in his arms and carries her around this sort of floor area and and lays her on the lap of her um, future in-laws, his parents, his mom and dad, lays her on the lap as though to say, we just, you just got a new daughter today. Isn't that cool? I mean, it was you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get married to Debbie again. We're going to do this whole thing over. And boy, have my standards raised for my kids. But um, anyway, so much fun, and the celebration couldn't, couldn't be more uh, memorable because it's, uh, it's family. How do, you, how do you do better than that? Speaking of family, we are family. Thank you for letting me uh, go places in a little moment of memory. Um, but thank you again, just before the Sunday uh, ceremony on the East Coast, three hours uh, later than we are, uh, earlier, I guess, um, we were able to tune in here for a few moments, and it was sweet to know God was present and impacting lives right here at Grace Point. So um, anyway, I'm, uh, my Bible's open to Acts 18, and um, let me tell you, as you make your way there, uh, sort of like an episode in um, Heartland previously. Well, previously in our study, which we've called In Step with the Spirit, uh, appropriately named because the Holy Spirit is really on the showcased feature of Acts. We think of Peter, we think of uh, others, I mean, Paul right now, we think of Silas and Timothy and uh, uh, Barnabas and others that'll come up, but no question about it, stitched and woven from verse to verse throughout Acts chapters 1 to 28 is the Holy Spirit doing great things, and I think the same Holy Spirit wants to keep doing great things. So previously in our study, you'll recall that Paul had presented the truth about Jesus to what I called last uh, two Sundays ago an Ivy League elite group in Athens. These are people that are like Stanford, Harvard type. Uh, I kidded, Chemeketa Community College type. But anyway, um, and he, um, by way of wrapping up his message, gives a 
sweeping appeal. It requires you to look across the page to chapter 17 for just a second. And he says uh, something that is meant for you. You're supposed to say right now, who, me? Everybody, you. Who, me? Yeah, point to yourself right now because that's the intent of verse 30 in chapter 17. He says, in the past, God overlooked ignorances, such ignorances, but now he commands all people everywhere. Who, me? Yes, you. Everywhere to repent. Okay, do you see the, the, the inclusive language here? So he, 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 he gives this sweeping appeal, and his, he, he's definitely not just leaving the message there. He could have closed his Bible, as we say, stepped down from the platform and moved on. But verse 31 uh, changes the tone significantly by, uh, by, by going past a soft sell, which we sometimes do with the gospel. We go, hey, you know, give it some thought, consideration, and so on. Verse 31 changes that. It certainly did for me as I read it. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's not done. He has given proof of this to everyone. That's you. That's me. By doing something. That had not been done. By raising Jesus from the dead. You guys, and here's where it gets, you can't just sit and, and sort of take this in academically because the very next statement is as proof, okay, um, he raises Jesus from the dead and people that were there Notice verse 32 starts, when they heard about that, the resurrection from the dead, it was like a, what did he say? What did he say? I got to looking at um, the expression, uh, some version of Jesus being raised from the dead, just in Acts. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. Meaning it is somehow the salient, distinctive feature of this uh, story of God intervening in the lives of people. He did so through his son, and he, based on Jesus' intervention on a cross and death, hands to every human being an implication. You can't just... Go to a Smithsonian and look at a cross and go, well, that's something. Wonder what that was about. When you find out what it was about, that a human, a God-man, hung from that cross, and then go a step further and, and, and conclude as the Bible does, Christ died. Why? Because I had a problem I couldn't fix any other way. And when that happens, you start to go, whoa. He, he's not on the cross anymore. He died and was buried and then rose again, and he lives today. Now, now you say, well, pastor, I know all that stuff. Believe me, the, 
reality of that hitting home causes a reaction like you, you and I read, starting in verse 32, when they heard about that, the resurrection of the dead, some of them, look at this, they rejected it. They scoffed. They went, you're crazy. The next group, right next to them in the, ne- in the second half of that sentence, they said, well, wait a minute. We want to hear you some more. That's the reflection group. That's the group that says, sometimes sincerely, other times it's a brush off. Hey, I want to hear some more about this. So you've got the rejection folks, you've got the reflection folks, and then you've got the repented folks that finish out chapter 17. We're given some names of people who actually became followers of Paul and circle the word in verse 34, they believed. In other words, this story became personal to them. I want to ask you, is it personal to you? It is to me. It is. It really is to me. Um, I was at Camp Tadmore yesterday with Debbie, and I went up to celebrate somebody that's given a lot of their life uh, to Tadmore, like my dad has done. And when we were walking around the lake again, we came to a section of uh, Tadmore's Lake. It's a beautiful place. You, if you haven't been there, you ought to go. And uh, there's an outdoor amphitheater. And I know the history of the amphitheater. It was, it was uh, built by my dad and a group of people in the day that he directed the camp. And um, there is a cross, an outdoor cross, a sizable cross. And I remember, no one knows this story, but I'm going to tell it right now because dad and another camp leader that was there working with my dad or for my dad, uh, they were trying to get right the cross beam with the vertical beam. They wanted it to be sort of, uh, you know, uh, proportional. And so they thought, well, there's one way to do this. We can lay down the, the, the vertical beam and lay down across it like this and sort of position it in a way that looks. And for whatever reason, it caused a chuckle. They began to sort of, you know, it was weird. It was a moment. The, 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 the vertical beam's on the floor, on the ground, and then they move this cross beam, and they're laughing a bit. And it wasn't long, as I remember the story, Dad, that the Holy Spirit said, uh, this is not just a, um, this is not just an aesthetic thing here in the hills. This is, this is my son. And they began to weep. And they experienced something of the personal reality of the crucifixion. And, of course, the cross there and the cross here is empty because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. So it gets real personal. And uh, I wanted to tell you that, Dad, but we got home late last night. So, um, <laughs> um, so you got these people that are at various places reacting to this news. And, and then... Paul leaves Athens. That's it. He's done. Chapter 17. He's he's out of there. And he travels 52 miles west to Corinth in the very southern part of Greece. And he spends, starting in chapter 18, he spends a year and a half there ministering to the people in Athens. It's appropriate and fair to, to give you a label that fits. This was Sin City, Uh, a city of reputation for sensuality and with it 
immorality. So you, I know we can all come up with our own cities today that are like that. I'm not going to name cities. I do remember once when we were moving to Oregon a long time ago, there was, I don't know if it was a sign or somebody said to uh, folks coming up from California, and we were that family, uh, don't Californicate Oregon. I don't know if you remember that. Some of you had those signs in your yard. I don't know. Um, but it's fairly obvious to all of us we don't need any help from down south anymore on that one, right? So my point is, let's quit pointing fingers, but it is very necessary for us to understand a little bit of the morality or the lack thereof in Corinth. So this is the place where the Holy Spirit leads Paul, and, um, and I'm, I'm going to suppose something because it's true in my heart. I'm guessing that he was not only shocked but sickened by what he saw, and get this, heard in the city. You want another one like that? Go to 2 Peter chapter 2 sometime today. It's in your notes at the bottom. And read about Lot. And you know the city he was in. And maybe you didn't know how he felt about living in that city. But 2 Peter chapter 2, also inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives you the answer. He was grieved in his righteous soul, we're told, by what he saw and heard in that uh, place that's uh, iconic for immorality, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so enough there as a point of reference. But um, I'm sure that a similar impact hits Paul as he arrives 52 miles away in, uh, in Corinth. And he decided to stay there because the Holy Spirit had sent him there, and he stayed there speaking the truth and living for Jesus Christ, unsoiled by the sinful surroundings around him in that city. Uh, can I say something about our temptation today? God maybe has you living in or around Corinth, the Corinth in your part of the world. Um, <clears throat> and the temptation that we face today is to say, you know what, uh, I'm not sure I want to stay here. We have a lot of friends that have moved to uh, other parts of the country that are, that are perceived to be more moral. All right? I don't fault them. I don't make fun of them. I just know that there's a lot of them. And they're abandoning ship. And they say, you know what, I'm, I'm close enough to Sodom that it, this could affect my life. And I don't want it to. Um, uh, but there's a better way. There's actually a better answer in the Bible. Um, and that would be don't blend into the darkness, but don't run from it either. So stay with me for a second. And I, because I'm a parent, I was, I almost said I'm a parent, I was a parent once. Uh, we had little ones. And we wanted in the biggest way possible, we did it with television and everything else, to protect their little eyes. Be careful little eyes, what you see. You remember? So we did all that. And we tried hard to, to, to protect them. I, we thought many times of moving into some, like, remote place in eastern Oregon where no one sins, you know? I, <laughs> that may or may not be true. Ask somebody that lived there. But here's the deal. Um, you, 
it, running away from darkness or blending into darkness may not be the right answer at all. You thought of that? In fact, um, Paul explains a view. You don't have to turn there. Let me just quote it from Ephesians chapter 5. He says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of light, fruit of the light, children of the light, consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He's talking about a different lifestyle. And find out, right here, right now, what pleases the Lord in your life. That's the deal. And then he finishes with this. Um, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Stay away from that. But instead, even expose them. Now, I'm going to be full disclosure here, time. I, I'm way off the rails, but this is okay. Holy Spirit's telling me. So here's the deal. Um, it's possible that by, by being way off the rails, you'll be a little bit more like Jesus. In John chapter 3, when he came as light into the world, what did people do? Wow, finally I can see. Finally there's light. Finally I can give up on darkness? No. Do you need me to quote the rest of John 3? Maybe. The people, anybody? Ran from him. They go, bro, stay away from me. And they didn't do it because they felt dirty. They did it because he brought light into a dark place. So people left him. They, many of them fled from him for that reason. Gosh, being around you, guy, man, it makes me feel guilty. You keep making people feel guilty. Don't stare at them and don't point fingers at them. Just live for God and you will expose the deeds of darkness all around you. Amen? I think it's I think it's worth consideration. I hope you talk about it in life groups today. So back to Corinth, all right? I, I read somewhere that uh, about ancient Corinth. Uh, I'm quoting now. So widely known did the immorality of Corinth become that the Greek verb to Corinthianize came to mean to practice sexual immorality. It's a little like Californicate, don't you think? I mean, it was in that day, hey man, you're, you're Corinthianizing me. Um, the renowned reputation of Corinth, if you want to research it more and say, are you just guessing? Because there's, there's some dispute out there. There's some revisionists that go, oh, no, no, it wasn't a problem. Okay. Then just deny 1 Corinthians altogether. Chapter 5, chapter 6. And you could go on and on. There was a bunch of darkness and much of it surrounding sexual immorality. So you can, you can check that out, make sure you do, and come to your own conclusion about that city. But um, by the way, I, I want to make, make note of the fact that Corinth was the home uh, to the temple of Aphrodite, which was the Greek goddess of sexual love and pleasure 
and passion. How many think those things are okay? It's not a trick question. I think they're great. I think they're wonderful. The problem is those people did not practice those things in the context of a committed husband and wife, man-woman relationship. There became the problem. So don't, don't get prudish and about words I just used. Sexual love. Oh, my goodness. I said, she'll hide their ears. You know, passion. Um, a, a pleasure sexually. Man, I hope that's part of your marriage. I'm just going to stop right now because my wife's looking at me. All right. Um, but do it in God's ordained limits, right? And the biggest limit of all, make sure you're married to her or to him. Right? That's it. And then whatever the two of you want to do behind closed doors, sanctioned by God, go for it. Did I just say all that in church? That's great. <laughs> really feeling good. It's getting warm in here. So thanks for the water. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so <laughs> here's the deal. There's a there's culture shock we've just read about. Quickly, we've gone back to, um, you know, Athens, and the the culture shock of intellectually sophisticated people, and then we, not far away, is Corinth, and that was the morally debased. Do you see those? The culture collision there? Both of them are tough. So Paul, we're told in verse 1, after arriving, um, uh, he hits the ground running. Or did he? Here's how Luke describes it. After this, Paul left Athens, went down to Corinth, went over to Corinth. He would be going west. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, they hit it off, and he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, remember they were delayed on purpose. They stayed there. But now they've returned, come from Macedonia a little further up in Greece. Achaia is down south. Paul devoted himself at their arrival, presumably because they could now help pay the bills. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Look at verse 6. When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles, non-Jewish audience. Uh, there's a picture here of something that I've learned over the years, ministry is more than meets the eye. It's more than this, you know, 40 minutes I get up front on Sunday mornings. Um, Paul, we're told, makes quick acquaintance with a Jewish couple that had fled Rome, 
and um, they were expelled from Rome, so they were running for their lives. And this couple's name is kind of cool, Aquila and Priscilla. I know a, a Pr Priscilla. I don't know that I've met an Aquila, but it's kind of a cool husband-wife name. And they're tent makers, as Paul was. We read all that. They became, by the way, close friends. Uh, not just what's read here in these little words, but in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, which was a letter Paul wrote later from Ephesus back to these people in Corinth, chapter 16, verse 9, he actually says, we, we, we became close friends and we, we actually did ministry with them. We met in their home. Um, they were later... If you want another evidence of that, a little more about their developing relationship. Like I said, there's more than meets the eye. The end of Romans chapter 16, you'll find actually wonderful in it, and it's teasing because there's not a lot of knowledge of it, at least the details of it. But he calls them, Priscilla and Aquila, co-workers. And then he goes so far as to say they actually saved my life. I don't know what, 2 Corinthians 11 says, there, he got beat, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, a whole bunch of other stuff. So well, I'm not sure which of those he's referring to, but it's extremely cool that if you're thinking back on your life and you're saying to a group of people, hey, be sure and look for Aquila and Priscilla. They're just, they're just rock stars. They, they came through for me. They, they saved my life. What a great statement. Um, I want to key in on one thing. They, they opened their home um, to, to ministry. And, um, and, and I, I don't know if you know people like that. Um, this gathering yesterday celebrated somebody that has served Jesus for a long time. I don't think he's ever preached. I don't think he's a, um, he wasn't praised yesterday as a teacher. Boy, was he, um, my non-spiritual label for him is, is he's a MacGyver for the glory of God. Every problem that Tadmore ever faced, he could fix. He just knew how to roll up his sleeves and get the right tool and do it. And he, and he was kind of modest about it. He wasn't there going, yeah, you know, this place is still floating because of me. He just served. Some of you do that. Some of you use your heart, maybe uh, God-given uh, resources, your house maybe, and your very life. Um, good for you. Uh, I'll quickly tell you about a couple that years ago, um, I was a college pastor before these 30 years here. And I work with college students in, in Fullerton, California. And there were a lot of them, and I reached out one time to someone that had a very large home. And I said, hey, um, is it, and they didn't go to the church. But I, I called them and said, hey, I, I know you got a big house, like almost 10,000 square feet. It's a big place. And I said, is there a, is there a way, is there a possibility that uh, I could bring a group of college students for a Bible study and worship? About 100 of them. weekly and the answer came back I, their names weren't Priscilla and Aquila uh, but I, I think they could have been 
The answer came back quite personally. Sure, absolutely, Stevie Boo. Hi, Aunt Patty. I know you're watching this morning. So, um, It was my Aunt Patty and Uncle Bob. And we met there way more than 100 people most Friday nights. It was called Friday Night at the Lad Pad. Again, I remind you, they did not go to our church. They went to another church. But they were gifted and called and spent their lives and fortunes. I, some of those kids that came there are missionaries today. They're pastors today. People changed, their lives were changed because of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Bob and Patty Ladd. At the Ladd Pad. It became known that way. The Ladd Pad. Cool name, huh? Um, not everybody does that. I'm not saying if you got a big house and it's just you guys in your house, you're lonely, I know. But anyway, it's, I mean, our house is big now because our kids are all gone. It's, it's crazy. But uh, what I am saying is God gives other people gifts and strengths. And please don't hear me say other people but not you. That would not be true in the Bible. He's given you something and he, he gives you opportunities. I want to encourage you to find those opportunities and use them. Use them big. And you'll be as happy as I am on a Sunday afternoon when I've done preach my heart out. You just can't peel me off the ceiling. It's, it's so good. That's why I stay so late and sermons keep going longer and longer. But anyway, um, all right. So let's come back to the text here. I, we're not going to get clear through it today, and that's okay. But um, So Paul partners with Bob and, with uh, <laughs> Aquila and Priscilla. Paul is partnering <laughs> with them and um, for, for, for ministry in Corinth. And then if you follow their story, it goes beyond that to Ephesus and Rome. So it's a really great linkage here. But Paul is pressing ahead. Um, he had just come from Athens, and he preached a really killer sermon. I mean, just a great message. He would say, we would say today, he rocked it. And it, his results stunk. So that's okay, people. Sometimes I, I give my, my, a lot of work to this, and the, and the, the results just go, you know, it, it was a yawner. You know, there have been times when I counted how many people fell asleep. Well, it could have been worse, you know. The whole building could have been asleep. Um, so how do you suppose Paul, after leaving Athens, and, and he did well, but they, they more or less chased him out. He had to leave. It was not a, he did what he could, and now it's, it's time to move on. Um, how do you suppose Paul got the grit um, to move forward? Uh, some quit over verse 6 when they opposed Paul and became abusive. That's, those are just easy words to read. There's a lot there. Opposition, abuse, we could have a lot of conversation about what that might represent, but none of it's pleasant. You know it, and, and I know it. 
So Paul actually goes on to give a peek at the, I would call it his power source, his secret sauce. How come he didn't just go, oh man, I'm done with this. No one likes me. How come he kept going? Uh, remember I said he wrote at least a couple of letters, some think three letters or more, to the Corinthian people after he had left? Well, he actually, um, one of those letters, the first one, 1 Corinthians, second chapter, he, he gives us a little insight. He says, when I was with you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom when I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was with you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. See my legs and body shaking? That's what he was describing. And my preaching and teaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but as a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of a man, but on the power of God. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the one you need to listen to. I try to say things sometimes strongly, but I hope you're hearing them come from him and not me. Because I've got about enough ability to motivate you to uh, you know, skip coffee at cafe today um, and switch to tea. But if you want your life changed, the Holy Spirit's going to have to do that. That's some of what Paul was saying. I didn't come, you know, you know. I came in weakness. There was a different spirit in me. Fear, much trembling. I wasn't eloquent. I wasn't impressive. I, I was weak, fearful. Hard to imagine Paul this way, but he was anxious. What, what will people think of me? All I decided to do was talk about Jesus Christ. And I relied on the Holy Spirit's power. So through a combination of Aquila and Priscilla, I've spent time on that, and the return of Silas and Timothy, that had to be a boost. And the presence of the Holy Spirit, I think we found the secret to Paul's grit. to face the relentless resistors in the synagogue. Some of you have already noticed uh, there was a tipping point. In the words I read in verse 6, okay, it started not with words at all, just this little protest. What would we call that? A dust-off. You know where that idea came from? When Paul said I, he dusted off his feet. See that? And um, his clothes in protest. It's a very, very bold demonstration of fine. Have it your way. Uh, the words came from Jesus. He was the one that told his disciples in Matthew 10 to go out, send them out in twos. And he gave them a whole bunch of instruction. You know what else he gave them? This counsel. His very words. As you enter a home, give it a blessing. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, 
Let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. It came from Jesus. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable, bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for folks like that. Don't trifle with the Holy Spirit's effort to get your attention. Don't. And those of you that are trying to share truth with others, realize there's, there's something in here that says if the resistance, if, to use his words, the opposition and abuse gets to a place that the Holy Spirit says, step off then step off. It's right here. So Paul left town. Well, not really. <laughs> he actually went next door. <laughs> he did. Um, I'll read these words and we'll talk about them more next time. Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Verse 8 is so cool, we could spend a long time on this. Crispus, the synagogue leader where Paul was speaking, Crispus, it's kind of a cool name, uh, and his entire household changed churches. <laughs> That's what I think of when he, they believed in the Lord. They're Jews. They're in the temple in the synagogue, they're Jews. And they, all of them, believed in Jesus. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. I, I spent a lot of time in between verses. So many of them believe that the head of the synagogue went, I quit. <laughs> Paul leaves, goes next door. The Crispus goes, done. I'm, I'm, I'm heading there too. Hey, family, let's go. And they go next door. And I'm smiling right now if I'm Paul. I'm thinking, what a deal. Who could have planned this? This is so cool. So what explains... One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. What did he say? My Bible has it in red ink. Do not be afraid. I'm not afraid, Lord. Look what just happened. And I didn't get beat up over it. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, Paul. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And this is where we understand how long that time frame was that he stayed in Corinth. A year and a half. Teaching to an audience that was receptive. To an audience that said, keep going, bro. I want to hear more and more 
and more. I want to leave you with a principle that I think is uh, going to be worth a lot of conversation in life groups and further conversation next time we're together. When you encounter resistance, and he did, change it up. And he did. See how that fits anybody? Yeah, he persevered. He had the grit, the staying power, all the stuff. Please, all these scriptures are at the bottom of your outline, but 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 is just always the one that I just wilt when I read it. I think, how? do it today. Would you promise me? Raise your hand if you're going to read 2 Corinthians 11 today, okay? Paul, and, and read it personally. Read it to where you say, at what point would I say, here, Lord, here's my keys. Would it be after the first couple of items on the list? I don't know. But it's there for us to consider and personalize. When you encounter resistance, at the very least, he didn't run, by the way. Next door is like next door. He could have left the city, but he didn't. So what kind of takeaways might you have? from the Holy Spirit when you and I read stuff like that. I'm going to close my Bible because I'm done preaching. But I think the Holy Spirit wants to do some applying to our lives. I'm going to ask the lights to come down and worship team to reset. We're going to sing a really great song that's a message song. And as they're setting, can I, can I have you just remember where you are, okay? You, Sin City may not be just a location, a municipality. It, it might be your job. I don't know. Could be your family. I've heard from enough people over the years that say, man, I'm really trying to walk with Jesus, but there's parts of the house I have to stay away from. Because apparently they watch things on TV that doesn't necessarily um, stimulate spiritual growth, purity. I don't know. I don't know if that's Sin City for you. It could be stuff that you've been practicing because you've made room for it in your schedule. But um, it's getting out of hand to go to another brew pub. Because you're asking yourself even this morning, the Holy Spirit is talking to you and saying, are you growing in your relationship with me there? Just saying. So, You don't necessarily have to flee from that, but you certainly don't want to indulge in that. So there's a complex takeaway there, I think. 
Um, I know a lot of people. We're going to talk about this next week, so I want you to be prepared for it. We're going to talk about trauma triggers in our lives. I've learned a lot about that and learning more all the time. There's a lot of that in our lives. I'm going to draw that out of this place in Acts as we read further about life for the Apostle Paul in Corinth. But the takeaway to me is very personalized for you. When you encounter opposition, abuse, change it up. Ask God how, and His Spirit will tell you how. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment and just say, Jesus, I'm hearing your heart today. There's implications all over the page in my life. I do want to be a gospel voice, even in Sin City. I'm not sure if I've ever thought a moment came in my life where I dusted off and moved on. But show me if that's the thing I need to do. Show me how to do that. And Lord, I I marvel at the things the Apostle Paul endured And he had the grit to do so, and I think we've gotten a little understanding of where that came from today. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Kind of covers it all. There's power in all of this because you are the risen Christ. You are the living hope. You are my living hope our living hope so as we as we sing and listen to this message song help our hope to to well up with greater passion and fire and heart for you I ask it in Jesus name Let's stand together, folks.